With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast with Miller and Dace taking a look at uh, some things that have gone on this week, some things that are coming in front of us. Today we'll talk a little college football, win projections. A few places uh, are beginning to talk about that. Also give a little bit of a recap of some uh, bigger themed items from the Big Ten. Uh, Steve, let's start real quick with a couple of news items that that came up late this week. Iowa had their um, open practice in West Des Moines on Friday night. About 6,000 people showed up. By all accounts, it was a success in that regard. News that came out, though, right before Iowa practice, free safety Brandon Snyder tore an ACL late last week and towards the end of a practice. Um, started last year, took some lumps early on, played stronger later in the season. But with the loss of um, Desmond King and Greg Maben at quarterback, cornerback, Iowa was going to be young in the secondary anyway. And, and he wasn't playing at an all-Big Ten level last year, but, man, that – you know, you log all that experience. You, t- you took your lumps early on. Somebody got experience, and it was easier to maybe hide that a little bit when you had an All-American cornerback back there. It's not the news that Iowa needed at a position where they were already a little unproven. No, and I think you have to look at the Iowa schedule, particularly early in the year. And I think given the track record of the Iowa coaching staff, you have to think that by the time we get into the meat and potatoes of the Big Ten season – They'll have a capable to competent, if not um, elite or playmaking unit uh, in the defensive secondary. So you got to look at uh, teams you have early in the year um, when you're still trying to acclimate all those guys and see if do you have teams that are able to take advantage of that. Of course, the one game you would look at early on would be the road game at Iowa State where Jacob Park was really good for them uh, down the stretch last year. We're scoring points for them was not necessarily an issue. We have Lazard coming back who may end up uh, breaking almost all. I don't know if you can get that touchdown record, but almost all of Todd Blythe's uh, receiving records at the school. And it's on the road, uh, which is not always a place in this rivalry that uh, Kirk Ferentz teams have played well. So it, it's one of those it's one of those injuries where You'd worry about a game like that early in the year having just one more guy where you essentially have to completely reconstitute that unit be the difference in winning or losing it. Well, two of your first four games, you go up against uh, two quarterbacks that threw for over 3,000 yards last year. Well, that means Josh Allen and then Trace McSorley for Penn State. Um, right, and you forget about the Wyoming game. Now, yeah, Wyoming will be interesting. I mean, their star tailback went pro early. I think he made a mistake. I don't know that he'll get drafted or how high. Uh, and so whenever that happens, and it is Wyoming, so it's not next man in, you know what I mean? So right. when you have a guy that, that as good of a runner as they had last year, and he's not, you don't know when you have a 3,000-yard passer at a school like Wyoming, is it because you can run the ball like that or can you run the ball like that because you have a 3,000-yard passer? But you're right. I, can, I, I see what you're saying. And Trace McSorley, of course, just got better and better for Penn State as the year went on. And, and sort of his coming out party, really, 
Well, he played well in the loss at Pitt in the second half when, when Penn State was way behind. But really after that, his kind of coming out party and really Penn State's entire team coming out party, um, after, other than the upset against Ohio State, but that was kind of a grinding out, bad weather game, kind of fluky how they won on a block kick, returned for a score. But it was the game against Iowa where they really made a statement as, as, as in terms of them being a championship caliber club. So you're right, that early season schedule – doesn't bode well for a team that is probably trying to decide who its 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 best pass rusher is going to be as well, who its interior force is going to be without a Chia Little Johnson, because the best friend to any secondary is your ability to rush the passer, and and then if you don't have a great pass rush, then you know you compensate for that by trying to be able to blitz more because you've got guys that can play man to man, and it looks like Iowa's going to have to try and fill both of those kinds of gaps on the fly now. Yeah, and, you know, Iowa's defensive tackle position, to be kind, is a question mark. And um, that game against Penn State, I don't have to think about that for for quite some time. Also in football news, um, Germanique Smith, uh, who had 23 receptions for 314 yards last year, probably the guy coming back that was – maybe most suited of the players coming back to take the top off a of defense or have that type of ability. He's been suspended for all from all football activities the rest of the spring due to academics. Kirk Ferentz saying uh, Friday evening in West Des Moines that, you know, whether or not he comes back is really up to him and getting his academics in order. Not the kind of thing you need from arguably the most thin, potentially most thin position on the team. Now, I think that they have a player or two coming in as true freshmen who um, were going to play anyway. The kid from Mississippi has the type of body that, I mean, if he doesn't play, then you might as well just, I mean, don't even try to recruit wide receivers ever again. Uh, just another, another, another player Iowa can ill afford to be out because Snyder, you figure, with an ACL tear in the spring, unless he's the greatest healer of all time and is taking, you know, Adrian Peterson's, you know, juice cocktail – um, he's not going to play this year, and, and you can't afford to lose Smith from an already, you know, big-time question mark position like receiver. No, and you know, I read Rob's uh, summary there at Hawkeye Nation of what went down at Valley High School Saturday, and when I read these two stories right from the outset, you're just kind of like, yikes. But I am forever on notice about. Um, <laughs> reading too much into Iowa preseason stories, <laughs> okay? I'll give you a couple of examples. I mean, the one from a couple of years ago, of course, is infamous. Yeah, our, 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 our twos are other teams' threes, and they go 12-0. and 0. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, that, and that, that preseason scrimmage like a week or two before the oh, season. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, the video footage of that and the offensive line, and you're like, egads, okay? So, yeah, and then they – around and went 12 and 0 but then i remember when i was when i was first starting doing sports talk radio full-time and they had that summer with all those drinking violations and 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 dwis remember that they went out and went 11 and 1 that year okay so i you know i'm it's not good but i am just hesitant to overreact to it either way to me i think the story if we're going to overreact to something then I think you overreact to who got the majority of the starting snaps at the quarterback position the other night. That, to me, I found to be fascinating. The Tyler Weger? 
Yes. And I, I think that's a to me that is a bigger story because here's the situation you also don't want to have. I mean, if you're gonna be thin at receiver, you gotta break a bunch of you gotta break some guys in. Well now you're telling me that you have quarterback one A and one B. So really what's that do for timing and everything else uh chemistry when you when you're trying to develop when you're trying to develop both of those uh, both of those positions at the same time and it's one thing to develop them both at the same time when your quarterback is a clear heir apparent but it's pretty obvious that that's not the case at iowa i've really not known kirk at the quarterback position to play games so I don't think this is trying to send Nathan Stanley a message or anything. So either Tyler Wiegers has, over, has outperformed what the expectations were of him or, you know, Nathan Stanley wasn't quite ready to take the big step of, of taking control of the, of the program and, and being the number one guy. But to me, I think, I, I think if we're going to overreact to something on April 10th, 139 days for the season kicks off, that's much more worthy of probably overreacting to. There's one more or that comes to my mind. And that is, it's spring football. Uh, it's not like they're really installing a whole lot in spring football, especially when you have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, and Kirk tossed out the term nomenclature, which I like that word. Um, <laughs> I do like that word yep, a lot. I, yep, I like it a lot too. And you've used it for years. Um, so you, you've got a new nomenclature, a new verbiage going on with the offense. What if I were to say, hey, Maybe they're giving Uyghurs an opportunity to get some reps because they're going to need a backup quarterback for Nathan Stanley last year, and they'd rather it be Tyler Uyghurs than Drew Cook or incoming freshman Peyton Mansell or quarterback to receiver, now back to quarterback, uh, Boyle from West Des Moines. And if Uyghurs goes into the summer thinking that it may legitimately be an opportunity to win a job, he doesn't transfer. And oh, by the way, first game, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a good competition. Uh, Nathan Stanley is our quarterback, but you're the number two and one play away. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I think that's a perfectly plausible scenario. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, we're we're having this conversation on April 10th, not August 10th. Right. You know. So if we're having this conversation on August 10th, then yes. that is definitely the time to overreact to it. Right. But it's April 10th. We're looking for something to overreact to. You know what I'm saying? So um, I'm more inclined because I've tried overreacting to, boy, that doesn't look good on Iowa preseason scrimmages in the past. Right. And it's embarrassed me. So <laughs> I'm going to try overreacting to something new this time. And that's Nathan Stanley not – being the clear-cut starting quarterback, even though it's perfectly plausible that they have to develop Tyler Wiegers to be ready to be a backup uh, quarterback, which they don't really have somebody who's game-ready right now. Um, and I think that's a perfectly plausible um, explanation. It's certainly the more op the most the more optimistic preferred one if you're a Hawkeye fan. Yeah, you know I'm going to look for that a little optimism. Never hurt anyone. Um, on Sunday at the uh, basketball um, annual basketball banquet, uh, Iowa coach Fran McCaffrey saying that confirming that Dale Jones will not return for this coming season. Um, heard some whispers last week, Steve, that Christian Williams was contemplating. Um, looking for a new uh, a new program, uh, I, I heard from very good sources that you know he really likes 
Iowa City likes Coach McCaffrey, likes his teammates. Just a little leery about playing time. We all saw the season that Jordan Bohannon just put forward. So it's not like his minutes are going to go down next year. Um, and then, you know, just thinking, I'm just thinking this through myself, human nature. You got a kid coming in, maybe, with the last name of McCaffrey, who also plays guard and played point guard in high school. So I, it's not a stretch to think that Christian might be looking around. I do think that next year for Iowa to be, I think, as good as I think they have the potential to be, in my opinion, Christian Williams' development this offseason is going to be a big part of that because at 6'6 and, and, and playing the point guard, if he can get his handles down, get a little more confident on his dribble drive, that's a matchup problem for a lot of teams. And Iowa typically doesn't have players that create matchup off the dribble problems. Now, are you sure about this? Do we need to check with LeVar Ball? Because if you bring in McCaffrey, too, that's two white guys. And if, according to LeVar Ball, if you have one more, uh, you can't win a championship with three white guys in your lineup. So, yeah, one of, the, one of the worst things I ever saw. Especially when your kid, the kid you're talking about is half white. <laughs> I mean, he's self-aware much. I mean, good grief. Just, I mean, no, no self-awareness whatsoever. Your own kid. You go home at night, you procreate with a white woman, for goodness sakes, man. Okay? Yeah. But uh, that notwithstanding, um, this conversation I find interesting because it shows you just how much things can change in a year. So a year from a year ago, the conversation was, man, we better hope Tyler Cook is as good as a one-and-done we got a lot of empty slots, new guys, don't know who's going to do what. A lot of minutes, unproven players, youngest team, maybe if you look at positions one through five in the entire Big Ten, right? Who knows how good this team's going to be? Um, you're talking Hawkeye fans off the ledges in October. It's a developmental season. Remember these conversations? Oh, yeah. And now here we sit, you know, it's a year later, and now it's just like we ain't got enough minutes to go around. This kid's going to leave. Okay, so uh, those are those are good problems to have. And, you know, I think it's too early. I think we have to wait to see who enters and who does not and, and who stays in the draft. But, you know, there was a lot of talk this year about the Big Ten being down. And down in, in relation to where it's been the last four or five years – where if it was not clearly the best league in the country, it was certainly it, it was certainly second. Right. And you know this year we we found that uh, I don't think the league was underrated, and it got three teams to the Sweet 16, and then they all lost. Two of them on the last second shot, but um, I thought the league was probably right on the money where it was rated, given what I saw watching a lot of college basketball this year. But now we're talking about a conference that could be completely loaded um and 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 then you look at the teams at the bottom nebraska and rutgers i i think it's conceivable they could be looking at one in seven one in one in um 17 two and 16 right. kind of conference records because of how, where everybody else is going to be i think i think wisconsin's streak of top four finishes in a row is absolutely on the endangered species list yeah i think you're talking about potentially i know one of the players you're going to mention to me here in a minute we're going to get to that point but, you know, the reason I bring that up in relationship to this conversation is because I think Iowa is a top 25 team heading into next year. But I don't know – I mean, I, I don't know where I would pick them in the Big Ten, depending on where it all shakes out. I think they could go anywhere from a, a, a Big Ten title contender 
to a six to eight seed in the Big Ten, but still maybe be a preseason top 25 team because I think this league is going to be loaded. Yeah, and still be a six, seven, or eight seed in the tournament next year. Agreed. Even if they're an eight, eight yes. seed in the Big Ten and eight seed in the tournament. Um, yeah, I don't disagree. I think eight's probably in the low end, but you know, if if Miles Bridges comes back for Michigan State, they're a Final Four um, contender. Even if he doesn't, they're a preseason top 25 team. I've been saying this for weeks, and I, I talked about it a lot um, the week that you didn't do a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I said I think I think Minnesota's a top 15 team, and I saw all the you know way too early top 25 polls that came out last week, and most of them had them in the top 15. There were six different – so uh, between ESPN, Fox, CBS, the Sporting News, and Sports Illustrated – I looked at their all, each of those media outlets, you know, two early top 25 polls for next year for basketball. Amongst all those polls, at, there were six Big Ten teams that were ranked in at least one poll, with Michigan State and Minnesota being ranked in each of them. And those teams were Minnesota, Michigan State, Purdue, um, Northwestern, Maryland, and I'm forgetting Michigan. So, so n- n- or maybe no, not not even Maryland. Maybe one of them had um, Indiana in there, but Maryland wasn't ranked. And I think that's a team. Even though Melo Trimble's not coming back, they still return a ton of production. They were a very young team. Obviously, losing a experienced point guard, point guard like Trimble is not is not an easy thing to to do. But they're going to be a salty team. So there's there's seven teams right there, and you throw Iowa in the mix. There's eight teams that I think all of them. Don't forget Northwestern. I think, yeah, if I, did, if I didn't say them for sure, they were, they were one of the six that were ranked in mm-hmm. some of the polls. So those are eight teams, I think, that should. If any of those eight teams doesn't make the NCAA tournament, the fan bases of those teams will be upset because they should have made it. Well, it'll be fascinating to look at all these rosters at the, at the beginning of May when, when the deadline to be in or out comes in. But with Northwestern, you're basically looking at every key contributor is back. They don't have anybody flirting with the NBA. Like Vic Law's not coming back, but I mean, you're right. Every all their top five scores return. Melo Trimble's a big loss for Maryland. I mean, every, they'll have everybody else back, but you know, Iowa saw the game, for example, at Carver Hawkeye when that game was nip and tuck until the end, and Melo Trimble just made a couple big big plays at the end of the game. He did that consistently for them. They're going to have to come up with another. Uh, another go-to guy. And that will not be easy to do with how loaded this league is going to be. Uh, Miles Bridges, to me, um, I agree with you. I think that is the difference between Michigan State being the consensus favorite in the Big Ten. And, and, then, you could, and then potentially, if he, if he doesn't come back, then I think they're still in that first tier. But then I think you're looking at, depending on you know, when the schedule comes out and we see what single games you play, everybody plays on the road and you start going through those right. those mixes and matches, then I think you could see three to five teams are capable of going, say, 13, or five, 13 and five in the league. And then I think it becomes pretty wide open at that point. Uh, I, think, I think Indiana, we really don't know what they're going to have with the coaching change. That still has to shake itself out. My guess is you'll see at least one, if not both, of the big Michigan kids put their name in and not sign with an agent and see where they go. Mm-hmm. Um, if you bring, they bring both of those guys back and you guys got a transfer, don't you? There's, there's going to be, yeah. Charles Matthews, former high school, all American from Kentucky. Yeah. Is transferring in as the new small forward and they'll bring in another guard. Uh, and my guess is it will be 
one of the kids that was all Mac at Ohio University or, or um, this Cameron Johnson from Pitt, they bring one of those kids in. You're, Michigan's looking at a front of a starting five of 6'4", 6'4", 6'6", 6'10", 6'11". That's pretty big. I mean, they're good. That's a, that, that, they will be a good team. So almost uh, as big as Iowa. Yes. Iowa, already, of course, our Hawkeye Nation listeners are going to be, you know, going to know their team in depth. You know, you met Purdue. Now it's maybe a good time to mention, you know, Swanigan not signing with an agent. I think that yeah. is smart of him to do that. It is. If he comes back, you know, we're talking about all five starters for the Big Ten champion. Well, really six when you count Haas because he's kind of a starter. All six starters for the Big Ten champions returning. That's, right? Yeah. So because Vince Edwards was a junior, and I like Vince Edwards a lot. I love the way they used him. Some games they brought him off the bench mm-hmm. to six-man for instant offense. So now you're talking about the top six players for the for the undisputed uh, Big Ten champion returning. Who did I forget? Uh, Wisconsin, we're now going to really find out how good of a coach Greg Gard is now. I think I saw you tweet after they lost to, to Florida that Greg Gard era officially begins tomorrow. I agree with that. We'll, we'll see. What he, he's done a, he did a, ni- a very nice job holding that outstanding class together. Uh, with Bo Ryan's sudden resignation two years ago, but now all those guys are gone. So we'll see how he's able to replenish the ranks. I completely agree with you about Minnesota. And then you have Illinois, which is a program that's very much in flux with a coach that I've got to believe. I'd be negative. I'd be negative recruiting him like a mother. Yep. Okay. Guy just left one job for a year, you know, with uh, after one year, you have an AD there that's kind of young and flighty. Do they know what they're doing? That's how I'd be negative recruiting them. And, and so uh, they already lost some key seniors. Now this, uh, what was considered the best recruiting class in the conference, that's now falling apart. So uh, I think I think there's a clear bottom tier next year. I think Illinois is in the bottom tier. Just I would not say they're as bad as Rutgers or Nebraska, but those guys will be your caboose. And then I think you'll have Illinois and uh, Penn State will be that next group. And then after that, depending, and then maybe, and then you know, it'll be fascinating to see how Wisconsin shakes out. You find out if both those one or two of those Michigan kids goes pro, or if they both come back, what Biggie Swanigan does. And you get those questions answered, and man, one through seven to eight, this league will be tough. Yep. Really tough. Yep. No doubt. We're not even mentioning Ohio State, okay? And with Thad Mata, and it's unbelievable that they've sort of become an afterthought so maybe they'd be in that tier with you know wisconsin and illinois and a penn state too yep penn state uh pretty talented but uh, as far as far as you know relatively speaking for penn state basketball but um they were also a very young team this last year uh, as well let's move on to football you sent me over a link this week that i loved and loathed i loathed it because i got a headache because there was a lot of math involved but loved it because it was, you know, Big Ten expectations. It was on MGO blog, um, and I will post the link to this uh, on HawkeyeNation.com to accompany this podcast so you can uh, play along or refer to it if you want using uh, F- uh, S&P ratings and ESPN's, you know, FPI ratings to that whatever end you want to go with there. I would say, Steve, quickly looking at the ESPN's FPI and looking at strength of schedule, once again, it would seem that they are uh, not fans of Big Ten football when you look at the uh, scheduling values. 
um, this year, just like last year, and they are obviously fans of the SEC. But they, Ohio State, when you look at the FPI index, which this is really the only time of year we do this, because um, that's one of the first pieces of meat out there. Ohio, they have a win out percentage uh, column in their FPI preseason rankings. Mm-hmm. Ohio State has a win out percentage of 32.8%. The next best win out percentage is Alabama at 9.1. I hmm. don't I don't know the mathematical mathematical magnitudes of scale that that is, but it's enormous to have that big of a chasm between number one and number two on a win out. Either Ohio State is going to be nightmarishly good or their schedule isn't going to be very good at all and they and the Big Ten's going to be a challenge. And, and considering, not just the Big Ten, they host Oklahoma in week two. They are at Nebraska. They host Penn State. They're at Iowa. They host Michigan State and they're at Michigan. Do you think they're going to be that good? Do you think they're far and away the best team in the country heading into next year? No. But um, I think they could end up being that good. You know, it's two years in a row they've had a major drainage of early entries to the NFL. And, um, you know, we've we've seen Clemson overcome this on one side of the ball. We've seen Clemson two years in a row lose numerous guys early to the NFL draft. That happened to them after the 14 season, after the 15 season, and they still had a good enough defense after in 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 2016 to win the national championship. But what helped them is that if if there is a help in this situation, is that the losses, these early losses, happened predominantly on one side of the ball. Wayne Gallman came back. Deshaun Watson came back. Mike Williams came back. Jordan Leggett came back. All those guys still had eligibility. They all came back, got their degrees as juniors, and then went pro. Okay? Ohio State is looking at comprehensive early entry losses on both sides of the ball. Both sides. You know, so you're losing. They had, they had one real offensive weapon last year that you had to account for on every down. He's gone. That's Curtis Samuel. Even the other receiver, who didn't really do much other than that incredible catch he had against Oklahoma in that game, if you remember that, he mm-hmm. went pro too. Uh, they, they, were, they were just so-so by their standards on the offensive line last year. Pat Elfline was by far their best lineman. He went pro. Raquan McMillan, linebacker, pro. Second year in a row, they have to completely revamp the secondary because all those guys went pro two years in a row stop and think about the fact that they that if we were doing this in the 90s or even 10 years ago they'd probably still they'd probably have a secondary with guys like eli apple and malik hooker and marshawn Lattimore and gary and conley in the same secondary that's filthy that's that's the you that's miami in the 80s kind of stuff Mm -hmm. okay so that is, that is an incredible drain of playmaking talent. Um, and I will be fascinated to see how they overcome this two years in a row. I'm really, I, I, you know, and I, I, listen, I'm a fan. I root for my team, obviously. But 
you know, as I get older, it gets easier for me to separate as much as much as possible fandom from just the, the my fascination with college football in particular. And I am fascinated to watch Michigan and Ohio State this year because Ohio State is going to try and do something that eventually caught up with LSU. What they have, the 17 guys went pro over two years, a few years ago, and Les Miles never really recovered from that. And, and that's basically a recruiting class that they lost early to the, to the NFL draft. That is, that is what Ohio State is up against. In fact, it might even be as many or more players. So I, I will be fascinated to see how quickly they can replenish and regroup. Similarly, I will be fascinated to see, you know, there's been this trend the last few years, we did this right after the season. There's four or five teams in college football that it doesn't matter how many returning starters they have. They have proven that over the last couple of years because of the way they've recruited. But all of those schools had a three-year recruiting base of elite classes that were, that were ready to take over. Michigan has a two-year base of elite classes ready to take over. So they're one class behind where Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson have been when they've had to replenish similar numbers of starters in recent years. So I will be fascinated to see how much that Michigan suffers from that, how much of the, how much of, uh, uh, of, of the Harbaugh factor is able to facilitate that or whether their youth catches up with them. So I, I think those are by far the most talented teams in the conference. Um, but I also think that they have major, major question marks. Now the schedule for Ohio State is a dream. I mean, they open up against Indiana and with your, when your offensive coordinator is their old coach, I got to believe he wants to send some messages in that game. Uh, and Mike DeBoard is the new Indiana offensive coordinator. And having followed Mike DeBoard's career for years at Michigan, he used to be the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Get ready for a lot of third and seven draws. Okay. Um, they, essentially, hiring Mike DeBoard takes the one thing that brought Indiana football back offense. Uh, and and it, it eliminates it. That's a terrible hire for Indiana. Oklahoma is a, is a game that sounds good. You know, but right after the season, they look like a preseason top five team. And then Samaji Pirine went pro. Joe Mixon went pro. D.D. Westbrook graduated. He was always going to leave. But then Charles Walker, who was by far their best defensive lineman, went pro as well. So now you're looking at a situation where they've got some bigger holes to fill than we thought they did, and they're playing that game on the road. Army, UNLV, I mean, these are the next three games after this. Army, UNLV, and Rutgers, they're going to be 30-plus point favorites in every one of those games. Maryland at home. You know, Maryland was a nice story last year. We'll see if they can uh, bounce back and, and, you know, get to another bowl game. At Nebraska, I don't have, I don't have a clue what Nebraska's going to have. I, I, don't have I, don't, I don't even know that Nebraska knows. Penn State at home. That's a major revenge game for Ohio State, major revenge game. And they get a week between Nebraska and Penn State. They get a bye before that game. They go at Iowa. Now, there's your classic trap game. In fact, if you look at the breakdown of Ohio State's schedule, this is almost exactly the schedule Michigan had last year. All the home games to start the year, and, and then that one game first week in November at Iowa. It's just the same place where Michigan lost to Iowa last year when they were undefeated in number two, as, of course, you will recall. The exact scenario in the schedule, okay? So you wonder if that's maybe a letdown spot for Ohio State, and I might be willing to guess that's probably going to be a night game in Iowa City when the networks get a hold of it. 
But Michigan State at home, Illinois at home, those are huge. Those are games they're going to win comfortably. And then they go on the road to Michigan in the rivalry game where you know Michigan has that game scheduled because the last thing Jim wants to do is lose his first three games to Urban Meyer. But that, that might be the first time that we get to a game where Ohio State will be favored by less than a touchdown. Hmm. And that's the last game of the season. So definitely a fortuitous schedule. The, the S&P projections and ratings and strength of schedule have Ohio State with the 11th most favorable schedule out of the 14 Big Ten teams. Teams 14, 12, and 13 are Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Minnesota. Now, in these things, Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers are always probably going to have you know first, second, and third toughest schedules because they're in the East, and they all play Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan every year. Um, but in the S&P, you know, strength of schedule rankings, Big Ten games only, um, Iowa has the toughest schedule of any teams in the West, and Wisconsin has the easiest schedule of any team in the Big Ten. And yeah, I disagree not- with that now that I'm looking at it. I disagree. I think the FPI says the only four teams it has going undefeated are Alabama, Ohio State, um, South Florida, and Wisconsin, correct? Those are the four teams that the uh, ESPN FPI has going undefeated? Um, let me look here. I, I, I don't know that they, they don't have anybody. They have Ohio State's projection of 11 and 8, 11.8 and 1.0. So okay. unless I'm not looking at it right. Well, I'm looking at Wisconsin's schedule right now. And relative to the talent I see them coming back with, I think their schedule is demonstrably more difficult than Ohio State's. At BYU is not going to be a cinch by any stretch. Um, Northwestern at home, not going to be a cinch. In fact, what I don't like about Wisconsin's schedule, this is something else about Ohio State's schedule, is for the most part, their toughest games are spaced out. Okay, we did talk about that stretch they have with Nebraska, Penn State and Iowa, but there's even a bye week in there. Okay, what I don't like about Wisconsin's schedule is the way that it lays out. Okay, and and we knew from, you know, we knew last year's team had the the gauntlets of gauntlets and, and amazingly got almost all the way through it. But they've got they go through one stretch where they had BYU and then Northwestern and Nebraska back to back to back with the bye. But yes. With a, with, yeah, but North, Northwestern Nebraska will be two of the three or four, I'm guessing, high, more highly regarded teams in the Big right. Ten West. And then, there, then the way the schedule closes, Iowa, rivalry game, Michigan, big game, at Minnesota, ultimate rivalry game. So the way their schedule sets itself up, they've got a couple different difficult three-week slates. This is still a team without T.J. Watt, Sojourn Shelton. They lost several key players on defense. This is a team that lost their one true, really dominant Wisconsin-style offensive lineman in Ramchick. They lost both of their tailbacks. And that young quarterback that got, had that great debut against Michigan State got benched at the end of the year. So this idea that their roster is completely set in stone, I don't buy that at all. Not only that, they lose their defensive coordinator for the second straight year. Yes, and, good point. And Jim Leonard, who's never been a coordinator at any level, and whose only coaching experience was last year as a position coach at Wisconsin. Uh, and two years ago, he was in the NFL, right? Or two or three yes. years ago? Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's their defensive coordinator. That's a big, big, big stretch for Paul Chris, in my opinion. You bet it is. Now, let me, let me run down this schedule. This is Northwestern's. 
Nevada at Duke, Bowling Green, at Wisconsin, Penn State at Maryland, Iowa, Michigan State, at Nebraska, Purdue, Minnesota, at Illinois. Tell me how many games you think they're definitely an underdog in the Vegas odds makers. Definitely an underdog? Yes. Um, at Wisconsin, they'll, be, they'll definitely be an underdog in, in Madison. Yep. Tell uh, me what Tell uh, me what the second game is. At Nebraska? Maybe. Depends. I mean, that game's the 1st of November. We'll see. Okay, I, 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 that's probably a two or three point spread either way. Yeah, I mean, definite's a tough word, but yeah, I mean, sure. Tell me what game on this schedule they cannot win. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, I think they've got, you know, Clayton Thorson really improved last year. Justin Jackson's a weapon. And in a wide open division, when you have the two guys, and your two best players are the two guys that handle the ball the most often. And you got to figure you're going to be in a lot of 24, 21, 28, 24 games. And you got a schedule like that. I think that shapes up pretty nicely for them. What about this for Nebraska? Um, home against Arkansas State, then at Oregon. Um, Northern Illinois, Rutgers at Illinois. Home against Wisconsin. Home against Ohio State. Um, then a bye. Then at Purdue. Home against Northwestern. At Minnesota. At Penn State. And then home against Iowa. That looks to me like exactly like last year. Off to a great start. Yeah, eight and four, seven and five. Then you finish eight and four, seven and five. Like I could see that. You know, who knows what Oregon will be? You know, you have the new coaching staff there. Um, but I could see them. I could definitely see them. That's one, two, three, four, five. I could definitely see them being six and one heading into Ohio State. Remember, they were seven and zero oh heading into Columbus last right. year, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I could see, I could see almost the, a repeat of what they did last yeah. year, couldn't you? Yeah, I could. ESPN's FPI not so high has um, Nebraska at a five as a five and seven team. If they're five and seven, um, Riley going to be a little little hot under the collar. Well, you know, you know, I've had my eye on this situation since he got hired, and I've been talking about how quickly would. Um, uh, who am I thinking of? The old uh, had a, just a middle aged uh, brain fart. Scott Frost. How quickly Scott Frost right. was going to turn around Central Florida because they, he took them over and they were 0-12. Well, he put them in a bowl game last year, from 0-12 to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty massive improvement. So if, if they go 5-7, and seven, but Central Florida is 8-4, and 9-3, and three, the favorite son sitting down there, particularly because, you know, and we'll have – we got many more moons to talk about this, but – we're talking about a, 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 a college football offseason where Texas A&M, UCLA, um, I can name Notre Dame, numerous top-level pro- – Tennessee, numerous top-level programs, their jobs are going to be open. There's not really a, a, a long list of definitive next-guy-up candidates right now in mm-hmm. college football. In fact, a lot of them just got hired. The guy at Western Kentucky that Purdue hired, um, uh, you know, uh, P.J. Fleck from Western Michigan. So, you know, here we have Scott Frost, whose previous pedigree is was running perhaps the most exciting uh, power five offense in college football at Oregon. From there, he goes from there to um, turning Central Florida from winless into back to back winning seasons. See where I'm going with this? Right. The same thing could happen to Riley. That happened to uh, Charlie Strong. Now, Riley's record is better, but I've always believed that if Tom Herman was not available 
Charlie Strong would have gotten another year. But when her, with Herman available in your own backyard, you can't let him go, particularly to an LSU, where he's going to recruit the heck out of your home state that entire time. You can't let him go. And, and so that essentially made the, the situation. They had, to, they, had to, they had to grab him while he was there in their own backyard. If you're Nebraska and, and that happens to them again or five and seven as FPI, and you got Scott Frost sitting down there, and he's getting mentioned for Texas A&M, pick a job. Know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're going to sit there and just let him go to one of those other schools? I think the pressure to make that move would be enormous, especially when you're talking about a coach that is in his 60s and isn't in this for the long haul anyway. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot of time to break this down the next several months. What are we, like 45, 50 days away from college football magazines coming out? So, um we can dive more into that then. And then next week, uh, we will take a look at the NFL draft that is coming up towards the end of this month of April 2017 when we record this. We'll get some of Steve's predictions and projections and have some fun with that. That'll wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. Thanks for listening.